Mindfulness Mode 439. Then we have a chance of restoring this earth, restoring ourselves and thriving here. It's a very important practice. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode Podcast, everybody. So great to have you with us. I'm Bruce. This is the place where you can reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. I've been mentioning I've put together a membership group. I'm not going to talk much about it, but you can check it out. It's called the Mindful Tribe Retreat. You can sign up at mindfulnessmode.com slash MTR. I've put together an ebook just for you called the 12 Must Read Mindfulness Books. And you know that my guests on the show recommend books. So we made a spreadsheet and we found out what are the 12 most popular books recommended on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. And so I put together this little ebook and it really has great books recommended and a little write up about each book as well. So it's a mini 14 page ebook and you can download this ebook for free at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books and the 12 is simply the the digits one two okay do you like fiction fiction with heroes and heroines from another place and another time well my guest today is a widely read author of fiction and she's all about mindfulness I think you'll enjoy this episode if you if you love this kind of writing at all. And she's just an interesting woman to listen to. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation today with Anne Kate Sullivan. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have a wonderful treat for you today. We are going to be talking with Anne Kate Sullivan. Hey, Anne, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am always in mindfulness mode, or at least I attempt to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anne Kate <laughs> Sullivan is a writer with a master's and doctorate in literature from Columbia University and King's College, London. She's written a series of books called Legends of the Grail. And I'm very thrilled to have these books right here and what beautiful stories she's put together. And these books have been written to inspire and empower the contemporary reader who wishes to remember how to live harmoniously with the earth. So let's talk about mindfulness first and tell us what mindfulness means to you. Well, I, I, my husband uh, teaches mindfulness meditation, so I, <laughs> it was a perfect question for us. We did our meditation, our morning meditation around this topic. So what we do is we have 15 to 40 minutes of silence each day. And then that's followed by an inquiry practice where we basically just share what's arising for 15, depending on how long we have, at least 15 minutes where I speak for 15 minutes, he speaks for 15 minutes. And then, and it's, it's great for relationship. The mindfulness part, I think is really important today for all of us, for anyone who's interested in awakening or just living on the planet in a harmonious and balanced way. Having done this practice for 30 years, I believe, we mostly sit in silence. I know in the beginning, there's a lot of issue with monkey mind and (laughs) 
silencing the mind. And so sometimes if that's going on, I might um, just draw a line around my body, just a maybe an orange line around my etheric body, just to, so my mind has something to do as I just sit in the, in the silence. And, you know, I love it. It just seems, this practice just seems to clear away the cobwebs, the news, the, dual, the dualistic nonsense that we're all involved in. And helps me open to a, another way of seeing and being that's non-dual, that's, um, that's very alive and delicious. I know that you believe now is a unique time in history. Can you tell us about that? Well, we all were getting ready for a, a shift, I believe, or many of us were getting ready for a sh the shift in 2012. And I was actually with some Mayan priests and they said, they came to me and they said, you, it's really important that you, that you tell the stories of the women, the goddesses and heroines of your culture, because for over 5,000 years, these stories have really been forgotten and the full feminine energy has not been allowed to be on the planet in that long. And if you can, if all of us can remember, remember this, the, remember what the feminine is, men and women, then we have a chance of, of restoring this earth, restoring ourselves and thriving here. It's a very important practice. So while my husband is the teacher of, of Buddhist meditation, mindfulness practice, which is cleansing and transcendent and formless, I do the opposite, or I guess we dance together in this way. So I'm then embodying so that we live, we move on the earth with, the, with the, all the elements, with uh, mindfulness, with the awareness, so that we co-create what we want here, you know, with our words, with our deeds. Uh, with our relationships. So your stories tell so much about the feminine and the masculine. What happened to the feminine 500 years ago? This is, five, we're starting about 5,000 years ago. So I, when I went back to to find these, these stories, um, it was actually, a, in a way, an accident. Of course, none of these things are accidents, but I had mystical experiences by some wells in, in Britain. And then was given an overseas research award to go gather folklore <laughs> in the in the west of Ireland. I was working on the stories and plays of Lady Gregory, who was the patron of W. B. Yeats. And I was in my twenties. I, I, you know, I, I had this pretty materialistic, scientific view of the world, academic. And then I start having these wild mystical experiences and. I think they call that ontological shock <laughs> when you realize maybe the world isn't what you thought it was. Right. <laughs> so I realized in finding these stories that, that one of the most ancient in the books is in the green book. It's called Legends of the Grail, Stories of Celtic Goddesses. This is a 10,000-year-old story of the old woman of the world, the Kaliach, who you know in folklore is turned into – that's the one. It's the last yes. story there. You know, in, in many traditions, she's turned into the witch. But if you go looking for her, you know, she might, you know, she might appear with the pot stirring her. But she, what she is, is she's the holder of all the potential and all the seeds of the world, all form, all life. So anything that, that wants to flourish and blossom here, she's the keeper for that. So as you enter into this animated folklore world, you realize that what the goddess is is life. The the grail, the grail is the symbol of, of the feminine. 
And so she's the supporter of, of all things that are alive. And if you look at a, a lot of our religious traditions, the feminine and the earth were kind of cut out of that so systematically over a period of time, especially 2000 years ago. <laughs> and in, if you go into Arthurian legend, which is more the blue, the blue book, you know, you see, you see what, what's happening as the feminine's disappearing and the wasteland is arising and um, the knights of the round table are trying to keep the, the lords and ladies dancing together, but things are changing. There's, there's something else going on. And so in these stories, I had the first part is the myth and the legend as it's known, as it's, as it's passed down through the, these, old, these old books like the Mabagian or the Labergabala or some of these ancient, ancient um, books. And then when you go to a place, when you go to a place, we call them the thin places. And if you go there mindfully, you know, not not just not with our not with our academic scientific awareness, but we we're going to go sit, and you actually start to invite invite something else to open up for you. You're going to use some other senses. You realize that in these thin places, the land's quite alive, and that there's stories etched into those places. And um, so, if you allow yourself to sit at these threshold places in the United States, we our threshold places would be at the edge of the sea, or um, you know, up at the top of Mount Shasta, maybe, or um, uh, some there there any place in nature where you can stand between the land and sky, or land and sea. Um, you you begin to open up to uh, the poetic, mystical world, and. Um, and it's interesting. So if we do a mindfulness practice, we're going into the void, generally speaking. Oh, silent, silent mind. And after that period of time, it's a very good training to go into silent mind because what happens is our critical mind, the superego, it starts to, to calm down. Hopefully, it can get really noisy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hopefully, we're going you know, to calm down that critical way of thinking because that's the main structure that keeps us from really living in a, in a, in a spiritual, a spiritual life. So, um, so as we, as we calm the mind and as we begin to open up to higher concepts and higher awarenesses, that's, that's the time that we might just be able to enter some of these places. And, you know, one way to do it is like, this is, a, um, I don't know if you can see this. Can oh, see yes. That? Yes, it's, I can. That's a, um, I'll just give you a little glimpse here. That's an ancient glyph you'll see on a lot of cairns. So, so what I was doing was going to these ancient cairns, um, and you, they're like Stonehenge, but they have a top on them, and you crawl inside. And <clears throat> some places were meant to be healing temples, like the old Asclepian temples, the old, Asclep the old healing temples, where you would go with respect and mindfulness and you would you would sit in there especially say around a threshold time such as um between october and no november Samhain, and you would go at that time and you would listen to the dreams of the earth so if we've been doing our mindfulness meditation our mind is clear and open and if you go in and you're listening sort of like with like with the ears of your heart you know you're listening in a new way Maybe you'll hear a tone or maybe you'll have a vision or maybe something will happen or you'll feel warmth and you'll go, ah, this is the way the world is dreaming. Let me, let me move mindfully with the world in the way that she wants to arise. 
And horses play an important role in your in your stories. Tell us about that and and how you connect personally with the horses that that you have with you on your property. <laughs> um Horses have always been a really important part of my life. I, I grew up in Virginia, and then I lived for a long time in Britain. And um, all, we always had horses. Everywhere I lived, we always had horses. And um, when I when I ride by myself, and I might go out for hours alone into the mountains, um, I you know you're rocking, and I think there's something you know you're quiet and you're rocking, and I think. I think in the Asian tradition, they call it the, the green healing, you know, when you're riding through the forest and, and the green that leaves the, the wind, it's just sweeping what you don't need away from you. And so you're rocking with the horse. And again, if you, if you enter this poetic way of thinking and being, the rocking, you start to see the trees a little bit differently. You start to, to feel how you and the horse are actually in that moment one. And you might even be able to, to see. You know, if you really, if you really go poetic, if you really go bardic, you might try to see with the eyes of the horse, how's the horse seeing the forest, you know? Right. How, how am I, how is the movement of the four hooves? How is that different than my two feet? How is it impacting the earth? Is it waking up? Is it waking up the land in some way? So I've always felt that the horses keep the shining paths open, you know, that when they walk on the land, the land loves them and responds to them. So, so, um, I was so happy to find Opona and Rhiannon and Anya, who's my namesake, <laughs> um, who can shape shift Anya, for, for instance, can shape shift into a red mare and, uh, she can appear that way. So you never know when you see a horse, if it's, is it a goddess or, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, um, in, in the Celtic tradition, shape shifting is, is, um, is normal. I mean, that that's part part of the Celtic um, uh, philosophy, is that um, you know, in order to to know something, you you become part of it. If you want to, the Druids were the people of the oaks. That's what it means, people of the oaks. So you would know the oak tree, and if you knew an oak tree, and you've done your meditation practices, and you're clear. You know, it might be that on a particular day, the wind's blowing just right, that there that there's a doorway in that oak tree, <laughs> right? And you can follow it like Allison, uh, Allison in Wonderland to, you know, or Tolkien or something into another realm. And, uh, and, and so in the Celtic tradition there, and, and in the books too, I give a lot of visualizations and there you can follow you can follow the silver thread and talk to your ancestors or you can follow the, your golden path and and find out your unfolding life purpose and mission or these other wonderful things <laughs> and i'd like to hear your comments about how mindfulness can lead to embodiment so um, and this has been a long-term discussion with my husband and i so so it's fun i i'm going to say something about him just just to bring that in, because he's really helped me with, with this. Um, my husband, John Patrick Sullivan, was a football player. He played with the Jets and the Bears. And he was, he's in, he's a Sullivan, an O'Sullivan, one of the kings of Munster. He's 99% Irish, you know? So <laughs> these guys, 
these guys um, are trained to read the field. Like that's what they do. I mean, you don't necessarily want them sitting in a classroom, but on a football field, they're amazing. They can read a field. They know before the ball's thrown, they know where it's going, right? So it's a type of, they call it in the zone, but he, he has that ability to read, read a field. I'm more of an academic, you know, poet, mystic, but he's, he can really read a field. So he's very, very embodied. And my, I needed to work on embodiment. You know, I was very in the mind, which is not mindfulness, but a little, you know, so um, he became, after football, uh, you know, he played, he was in this game for 20 years and he's, they train you to be a killer. You know, they're knocking you out, telling you're a wussy, telling you to get back on the field. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and one day he, his knee snapped and that was the end of the game. And, uh-huh. and um, he went home and his sister died, his mother died, his father died, his game was over, his wife left him and he was like, uh, what's going to happen next? And he wound up going to India and studying yogi, uh, yoga with um, uh, Patabi Joyce and really feeling picked up by Ramana Maharishi. So he went on a deep spiritual quest. And I think if you're a Celt, you have Celtic lineage, um, especially if you have this Irish blood or line or, or Scottish or, or Welsh, you have this natural spirituality that's in you that can awaken when you're in those thin places, those worlds. So he, he, he came back and taught yoga and I think um, really, really helped, helped himself. So when he, when he sits, when John Patrick sits, he has a field around him that's solid. It's, um, and I think over his, he's 62 now. So his, his years of developing um, this field of presence is palpable. And so when I meditate with him, uh, we've meditated now, I think together for 15 years, um, I'm able to move into his field of awareness. And um, it has helped me with my own creative journey, with my writing, with all the things that, that I do, because I've, I have felt this sense of oh, solidity. Oh, I can land. I can be here. Oh. And so it, the, um, most, of, you know, most of what I learned um, when I did my India voyages was transcendent. And I loved it. I loved being with Amachi and getting blissed out of my mind. And but it, but at a certain point, when you come home from these journeys, also when you go uh, questing on the Celtic quest too, you come home and there's almost a sense of depression. It's like, oh, I've had this this amazing mystical experience. Now, what do I do with that? How do I? How do I, how? What is being? You know, how how do I get up from this cushion where I've been been in this incredible clear spiritual space and now I'm I'm getting up and how do I move now how do I move now without and and I I found for quite a a while I had to move slowly like when I got up the footsteps I had to really move consciously to go outside walk on the earth be aware of what my feet felt like on the earth how it changed when the wind blew from the west or the east. In the Celtic tradition, if the wind blows from the west, it's a green wind. And when the wind blows from the east, it's a, it's a purple wind. You know, so you just like to be aware of these, these how, 
how am I now? How am I now? And um, th- through these, I think these different practices, both both mindfulness and also elemental, we can we can show up with with so much creativity and awareness. It's it's like it's really like the the ego self that has kept us tiny and limited and compact just starts to relax and become this precious pearl. You know, it's I don't I'm not one that really believes in destroying the ego. It's more that the ego starts with our practices, the ego starts to oh it starts to breathe and merge. And then we're able to live more from our our higher self, our our, our creative being. It's a wonderful and- practice. Yes, it is a wonderful practice. And um, you have a beautiful room behind you. And I know that you live in a beautiful place. Can you tell us about that place and that room that you're in? This is a, we we actually just moved here. We we spent 25 years in California and, um, and, and felt, felt through, it was guidance really that it was time to come back to the East Coast. We're both from the East Coast. And um, we found this place way up a, a dirt road, a mile up a dirt road in the mountains that looks out into a lake. And it, it was actually built as a, as a Zen Buddhist temple. So, so this is now our home. And there's something, I don't know if you can see up, but there's something about having very high ceilings that, yes. that helps, the, helps with this um, transcendent energy, this high energy. And, um, and, and then with the lake and the streams and the, the trees and so forth, it really helps with the embodiment. So, so if you, you know, generally speaking, you know, transcendence is kind of a upward energy and then the descending energy is a downward energy. And when you, when, and this is usually considered masculine, this is usually considered feminine. So when you get the two combined Oh my goodness! There you have this. You have a star, right? right? You have a spark right. of life. That, that's that's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that it looks like a fantastic place to be in. That's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think our planet can be restored? Well, I think there's one really really easy solution. We could just stop cutting trees down and start planting them. That's 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 the easiest thing because even if, I mean, and and that scientists know this it's it's very well known and we could just stop cutting the rainforest down i mean that was one reason we moved back to the um i wanted to be in the appalachian mountains um where the where the trees are really vibrant and alive the mountains are very vibrant you get a lot of weather and and clouds and storms because um it's so easy to work with the elements here um but we could just collectively you know start protecting land and and really really get that this planet is alive I, i've had a lot of um time, periods of time where I've maybe run a workshop and people go oh this is baloney you know there's there's no uh <laughs> this, the trees aren't alive and so many times i've said okay well you know let's do a little we're going to do a meditation just a little meditation get quiet and then i want you to go out somewhere in the woods and i want you to just find a tree or a rock or something that speaks to you and just sit with it just sit with it 15 minutes if it's a tree put your back up against it for 15 minutes and then come back and tell me what you've discovered it's an inquiry right we can just ask questions (laughs) 
and they won't come back and I'll have to go looking for them and they'll be with their arms wrapped around a tree crying. It's alive. It really is alive, you know? <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I love these moments. And um, so, you know, this world heals when we wake up and we realize the old ways of domination and control aren't working. And we have technology to help us. We have, but the the real thing that we have is our own creative imagination because, you know, we've created ourselves into a big mess. And if we can do that, we can create our way back out. And there's so many solutions. All we have to do is, is get out of our own way and, and actually start implementing this. And I, a lot of people in this area, um, we're actually surrounded by a thousand acres of conservation land, which was another appeal. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are starting to understand this and they're, they're buying, you know, they're buying land and they're, they're, I mean, we have the hidden life of trees, which is a wonderful book, right? Um, so people are starting to make this shift. The Mayans, when I was with the Mayans, they said, what would happen? And it's interesting. We'll see if this is true, but I liked it. They said in 2012, what would happen? It wasn't that the end of the world was coming, but that the return of the, of the feminine energies would start to happen. And that would integrate until 2015. And then we would head towards a, a golden age that would start in 2025. And that there would be a lot of upheaval, upheaval in between. And... Um, if you look right now at how things are changing, you know, if we look from a non-dual perspective for a minute, if we've been in our meditation practice and we're in our non-dual consciousness and non-dual means we're accepting everything as it is. So we're not judging, we're just accepting. Then it's all, it's all perfect. Everything that's going on right now is perfect. Oh, it's all falling apart. It's collapsing. You know, right. all these crazy things are happening. Um, you know, it's only, it's only when we, when we come, when we embody this is why embodiment's difficult. You embody, but usually when we get up off the, the meditation cushion and we embody, we, we re-enter a dualistic way of thinking and being. You know, you're over there and I'm here and I have this view and you have that view. And, and you know, before long, you can be in an argument with someone and you're like, well, I was just in a meditation practice, you know, an hour ago. What happened? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're embodying, this is it. You have to be, you have, this is the awareness practice where you, you get up and you move slowly and, oh yes, you still have your meditation practice with you. You're still connected. Oh, I'm my precious pearl. Yes, I'm functioning from, from this higher place. And then someone calls you a name and then you have that moment of, how am I going to respond to this? And if you, and if you have a meditation practice, you might have that pause, you know, it's like, am I going to, am I going to respond to this person's projection by engaging it? Or am I going to laugh? <laughs> oh, it's interesting that you see me that way. Oh. <laughs> and it's so good to laugh. <laughs> and you laugh so heartily. I love that. Uh, let's talk about the role that water plays in your stories. Well, if um, we're talking about elements and so we have legends of the grail and the whole the whole series started for me when I was at the Chalice Well in England. And um, so it was, it was, it's a watery environment. <laughs> you yes. know, it rains every day and there's a well. Um, and it was the first time I really had the impression of the presence 
of the feminine face of the divine. And Glastonbury, I don't know if you know this place, Glastonbury. It's an interesting place. No. It's, a, it's in the southwestern part of England. And um, it was considered for a long time to be in, and maybe even now, but definitely say in the 12th century, it was considered the Jerusalem of Britain. And um, there's a huge abbey there and um, there's a tour and a, and a special. So some people say that it's been a, it's been a pilgrimage place or a journeying place um, for 25,000 years. So it's a, it's got quite a strong energy when you go there, especially if you're going with an intention of, you know, find it's, it's called the goddess stronghold, you know, <laughs> this is what it's known for now. And so when you go on a quest, I, you know, when, when you go on a quest um, and you've done your mindfulness practice, you don't have, you don't have any agenda or plan, or you might have a spiritual aim. Like it, I'm, I want to find the feminine face of the divine, but that's it. And you're, you're, so on a, on a heroine's quest, which is different than a hero's quest, a hero's quest, you're, you're journeying, you're adventuring, you're, you're conquering, you're learning, you're doing. On a heroine's quest, um, you're receiving. So you're learning to listen to the land. You're learning to, or the elements, all of it. You're learning to listen to another. You're learning to feel other presences. So not just with the five senses, but when I walk into this room, how, how is it different now? You know, how is, has my presence impacted the room and how does the room impact me? What's happening here? And, um, and then clear audience. Some people hear music. If you're in sacred places, you, you might hear a music or you might hear a voice, which is different than schizophrenia. You know, <laughs> you, might hear, you might hear a presence or a guide. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in the Celtic tradition, um, all, all the poets had, had guides that would sing or speak to them. So um, they, they would then help a path unfold. So for instance, recently it, with this book I'm doing now, which I'm doing Gods and Heroes now, but I, I was working with the story of Ellen and um, Maximus or Ellen. And, and Ellen is an antlered goddess. She's considered the most ancient of, of the Celtic goddesses. And her partner in, in the most ancient tradition is called Cronunus. He's also antlered. And, and the reason that they have antlers is because they're so good at listening. They hear the stars and they understand how the stars are impacting the earth and how life wants to flow. And so you'll find that their trackways that they walk that um, quite often go along a river or a stream and that in the sacred places, more often than not, there's a well. So in Altharian legend, you would find that there's all, almost always a grail maiden in the spot. And if you and if you really wanted spiritual nourishment, you would go to this well or spring and you would ask her to help you with your vision, with an awareness, with an understanding. So so these are happening more and more as Bridget's flame is relit, as um, these stories are coming back to life. People are walking Saren Helen, walking the paths in Wales. It feels if you do it, you feel like you're walking through Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, tell us, I want to I want to ask you about the beautiful artwork in your volumes. Was it difficult to find someone to do that that incredible work? Uh, I've, I've been really lucky. I, um, 
years ago, gosh, I think it's about seven years ago, um, I I had a, a friend over who was helping me with some interior decorating with my daughter's room. And I came in and she was she was sobbing. She was sobbing so loudly I thought someone had died. <laughs> you know, I asked her what was wrong. And and she said, uh, I just read one of your stories and I want to illustrate it. <laughs> so, <Uh-oh. laughs> that's actually how it started. And that was um so we did it children's books first. We did the Sparkle series and the story of becoming. Um these were stories that I had written for my kids. And they had done little stick drawings to go with them. Right. I hadn't really thought that much about them uh, until my kids left home. And they, they called me and they said, Mom, my friends need these stories. Will you please publish them? And, and, and Belle, Belle Ducre, Belle Crow Ducre, is their full name, said, yes, let, let's do this. So we, so we did, uh, we actually, I actually just finished another one, which is called uh, Eva and the Rainbow Dragon. And that's a heroine's quest where she goes into the underworld to find to find her power. So that that one, I, hopefully, will be out next year. So that one's really fun. So that that's how it started, and and it was really easy. I she Belda's drew the, the pictures. We the stories were there, and she would was able to enter this kind of mythic imagination and really tap into my way of seeing, which which is rare. I I don't know how how you could explain anything like this to an illustrator she just got it and um and so there she went and the story of becoming let's see it's this one um it's this story uh yes yes um that's the the it's actually the world through the eyes of a of an apple tree she she starts out as a seed and then she she finds out she's a sapling and then all these things happen to her. She gets eaten. She gets struck by lightning. She's, all these things happen. Yeah. And um, so this book was our, our big success. It was, uh, it was a bestseller for a few years. I think there were 250,000 downloads as an ebook. And um, it won 18 literary awards. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, people like these stories. So, so that, that really got us going. And then I, I put these these larger collections for for women. I thought it was for women. They've won women a lot of uh, awards for <laughs> women's fiction. Um, actually, we just won two new awards. It won um, oh, great. this one, Heroines of Avalon, just won um, the Ippy Award, a gold uh, for visionary fiction, and um, it, it won a, a silver with Nautilus for women's fiction, and then it's up for cover awards. So it, it's been well received. This one. This one I launched, and, uh, and I, that's I, Legends I, of the Grail. I'll Legends just say that, of the so Grail. that Legends for of those the Grail. of you who are not seeing this. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry, I'm holding it up. Legends of the Grail: Stories of Celtic Goddesses. Um, that one won. I, I can't remember how many awards. A, a good dozen awards, I think. And it has sold out of print four times. Um, I was told that nobody was interested in Celtic stories. By, by publishers. I published things that when I lived in Britain, I had a publisher. But in the United States, people said, oh, no, um, nobody wants these stories. No, people aren't interested in spiritual things. And I think I've sold 5,000 copies of this one so far. And <laughs> wow. that's not true. <laughs> so it's definitely not true. Yeah, definitely not true. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That really is. And uh, what do you think makes one whole? What makes us whole as people? 
so when I started my Grail quest, there's a, there in in Arthurian tradition, they say that there's such thing as the Grail family. It's actually it appears in Kabbalah and other mystical traditions too. And um, when you go, in my mind, when you go on a Grail quest, a Grail, if you look at it, is a circle. I'm holding up my hands as a circle. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and so the Celts would say, and this would be the, the Irish part of us, the, the Irish bard would say that when the sun sets, if you go out by the lake and you see a swan, you can climb aboard the back of the swan and it's a shapeshifter and it, and it, will, it will turn with you and it becomes black. And as, as you fly on the, the black swan, it will take you to all the places in the world where you've lost pieces of your soul in this lifetime or any other lifetime, through upset, through whatever, bullying, where you've lost track of yourself. And this black swan will fly with you and you collect all of your pieces. And then in the morning, right as the sun begins to rise, when the crack of the world is open, you can fly back in into your body as a whole being all of your emotions, with your thoughts, with your spiritual, with your body, with everything that you need here, with your life purpose and, and your vision. Wow. And, and then you're whole. <laughs> that, that, is so, that is so beautiful. It really is. And speaking of bullying, have you ever been bullied? Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? I have, I have some good, good bull bullying stories. Uh, first of all, this book, I'm holding it up again. It's called Sparkle in the Light. Um, right. so it's a story about a mystic, a little girl who's a mystic who gets bullied and how she deals with it in case anyone wants to read a story. <laughs> but, right, right. um, I, I wrote that story actually for my, my daughter because, uh, she's a seer and the kids at school were teasing her and, and she came back and she's like, I don't, you know, I don't really know what to, to do about this. And I got, a lot of, I have, I play with colors. I love colors. And so I have these different color bottles and I got them out and I said, you know, what's your favorite color? And she said, oh, you know, blue. And, and I said, well, you know, this person that was picking on you, what do you think their favorite color was? Oh, it's red. And what about the other one? Oh, that's, oh, that, you know, she's yellow. And I said, well, you know, probably what was going on is people, I've got to, I'm going to hold this up um, for people who are, speaking, but Belle did a great illustration oh, yes. of these girls and one snatching her hat and one steals her notebook and one takes her headband off. And, you know, so she feels completely violated by this misunderstanding. And, and, in, and if you look at it, these girls are trying to understand why uh, Ella is the name of the girl, why Ella is different, why, why she sees differently. And so they're bullying, but I think that at the same time, they're also trying to understand. And then Ella has to, has to realize that the woman who's picking on her, Amy, is doing it because um, her father has died and she's just beside herself. She's in so much sorrow. She ha she does, she's broken. And so Ella realizes this and is able to help Amy heal. And so and, and with my children too, I've tried to help them. I mean, obviously if, if someone's trying to molest you or they're, you know, you never, you never let anybody harm you. That's, we always practice no harm. So you, it's okay to stop things. Right. You know, you're not, don't, don't abuse or be abused, but to realize that quite often 
someone just has a completely different perspective. They have a different worldview and they don't, they can't understand the way in which you, you see or think. And so I've, I've explained to them that it's your job to, ex- to explain the way in which you see the world. How, how do you see it? And my daughter now is 27. Um, she's becoming an acupuncturist and, a, and she does Chinese um, medicine. She's a herbalist also. And so her, her ability, she's always had this ability to know where to touch someone and make them feel better. And now she's able to put it to use where, you know, when she was a kid and she would come and pokey, you wouldn't necessarily understand. <laughs> right. Oh, that's wonderful <laughs> right. that she's doing that work now. That's great. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's tricky. I do think if we have a meditation practice, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share one with, with a John Patrick story. Um, we went to a gas station and we, we had just finished a long meditation practice and we went to this gas station and he was fill- filling up the car and, this guy comes over and starts yelling at him. I mean, really yelling. At, and I'm thinking, oh no, um, he doesn't realize that John Patrick holds the most college and uh, most tackles in college football. I mean, John right. Patrick could take the guy out, right? There's, of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, let's not go there. And, and John Patrick kind of looked at this guy for a minute and he looked at him again and he started laughing. He just started laughing. And the guy was like, take that smile off your face, you know? And he just said, you know, I hope you have a really great day. And he, and he walked in and, um, and paid for the gas and came back out and got in the car and was like, okay, I, now I know that my, ma- my mindfulness practice is working because 10 years right. ago, the guy would have been unconscious. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's a true example of mindfulness <laughs> working. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes. So well, uh, we have that pause, is, that one moment, like, uh, what am I going to choose here? You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, that is a funny story. And as we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I work with a, a, a mindfulness meditation teacher named Carol, who teaches in, in San Francisco. But the person that I've really learned mindfulness practice from has been A.H. Almas. Are you familiar with him? He's the head of the Ridwan School the diamond approach. Right, right. And I've been part of that school now for, oh my gosh, a long time, a good decade or so. And I love his books, his Luminous Night's Journey, which is about his awakening experience. And they're good to read. If you're in a process of awakening and you wonder if you're going crazy or if you're actually waking up, reading books like Luminous Night's Journey really helps you to understand the difference. It's like, oh, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm starting to to see with new eyes. And so that's a great book. His Pearl Beyond Price is great. Um, uh, Space Cruiser Inquiry is another good one that he's written. Those are my favorites. The ones right. I turn back to. Yeah. Wonderful. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Anne? I think we're talking about water and our watery side is, you know, there it's connected to our emotions. And I think it's really important to try to stay balanced. So there's a difference, I believe, between being sort of neurotic, you know, and and just acting out uh, emotionally and really learning to feel, to really understand what our our intuition is telling us, which is our our emotions, our feeling side is connected 
to our intuition and to our body. So our, when our body feels something, it's telling us the truth. And so then we can, if we can learn to read those emotions and feelings, then, then we can really operate well. And so I, I do, my, do my best to understand whatever emotion I might be feeling, even if it's anger. If I'm feeling anger, then in some way I need strength. I need to, to you know, but I, I'm going to try not to act out on someone, but I'll have to check in to see how I might need more strength uh, to deal with a situation. Or if I'm feeling fear, and maybe I'm going into a cairn, you know, one of these old sites and I feel fear for a minute. And that's usually a sign that I need to back up and find out if I have permission to enter here or if I need to walk a different way. I mean, you know, we can avoid a lot of things by not being on a path where things occur. You know? Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So I, our emotions are important, but I think what it really is is about learning to feel the really sensing our body. If our body is tensing or tingling, or you know, if we if we can really feel, then we know how to navigate. Right. Yeah. Tell us about breathing. How breathing is part of your <laughs> mindfulness. Well, breathing is life, and so no. yeah. So it is really important. If you're working with fire, for instance, um, fire breath is 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 great a great practice. Have you do you do fire breathing when you you do the deep rapid breathing and it charges your body up so you can face yes. the sun and do this rapid breathing and charge your body yes. up with prana and life force. Um, so yes, our breath is our life. So we we want to keep breathing and and consciously too. When our breath goes shallow, you know we need to notice. It's like why why am I why, why am I not fully here? You know, if I can breathe deeply, oh, okay. Okay. I'm fully present. Okay. This is good. So. I will uh, put in Luminous Night's Journey as your book that you recommend, but do you recommend any apps at all to help with mindfulness? Uh, I know there's some really good ones. Um, I, I tend to go more towards Audible personally. Right. I love I love Audible books, and I don't think A.H. Almas has anything on Audible. But I just finished reading, uh, listening to um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which was great. Um, and I also love probably the one I would really recommend is a wonderful Irish writer who recently crossed. His name is John O'Donohue, and he wrote okay. a book called Anamkara. It's a very famous book. And, and there are other ones, Beauty, Blessings. They're all, and I quite often at night, as I, if, I, if I'm, my mind starts getting busy, I just put him on and he has this, this ability, I think, to put me on the swan so I can fly between the worlds, go into the dream world with uh, ease and grace and come back with what I need. So I, I, yeah, I'm loving the Audible right now. <laughs> and do you record your own books on Audible? I need to. I actually have a woman who's coming this summer and we're going to start doing that. I know that people love oral storytelling and that yes. we don't, we often don't have time to sit down and read a book. Um, they, the ones I have here, they're, they're fairly short so you can read them quickly. But I think people really love to hear stories. I, my children, I knew, I know, love to hear them. They tell me again, tell me again, what happened then? And um, and when we remember these stories, if uh, some people are, uh, learn differently, and some people yes. really have to have, um, uh, you know, the story told to them in order to really get the layers of meaning, and um, uh, so anyway, 
the old bards, you know, had to learn a true bard in the old Celtic days. They had to know 250 stories. Right. Right. And you've got a beautiful voice and a beautiful way of speaking. And of course, your laugh is incredible. <laughs> you know, I love that. And where can we learn more about you? Obviously, we can download your books, Legend of the Grail, Heroines of Avalon. But is there a website we can go to? Yes. Yes. You can go onto my website. My first name is spelled A-Y-N. So I'm pretty, if you, if you type A-Y-N, I, I usually come up, but uh, Ann Kate Sullivan. Um, or AIN. And um, you can look, there are all kinds of, there's an audible section. If people want to hear stories, there are all kinds of things you can hear. If there, I have 12 books, I think now, so there you can find them there. They're all available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and and you can you can find them, but there are a lot of now thanks to to you <laughs> and many people doing podcasts. Um, there there are a lot of Audible um, podcasts on there now. So uh, and also videos if people are more visual, you can go and listen to stories and tales of the Celtic ones. Yes. Right. Yeah. So get over there to the website and Kate's Sullivan dot com, and it's a y n c a t e s sullivan.com. So thank you so much for being on the show today. And it's been wonderful having you here. Thank you. Thank you. And I've enjoyed the, the mindfulness piece. This is, uh, this has brought a new addition, the mindfulness and the embodiment. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's right. Thanks again, Anne. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. 